0: Welcome to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I'm your host, Steve Copeland, and thank you for tuning in. Let's have a great day. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you. Every week, it seems like I'm saying the same thing when I say good morning. The last three or four weeks have just been so inspirational to me that I hope others are sharing and listening to the show because they're working for me. Last week, I had the pleasure of doing my second Jim Stoball Wisdom for Winners show, and I I read a lot of his work and told a few stories and went a little too far maybe with some of my karate stories, but I had a good time. But I thank those of you that said that you liked my stories. So I guess I'll keep doing it if my wife lets me. But what I, what I want to say today is, is that last week when I read from the ultimate productivity, I want to, I really want to encourage you to get that book. I've given that book to maybe 30 or 40 people and everybody that's ever read that book says it's probably the best they've come across to really get them focused so we've been working on this theme of how jim stovall helped me to get a focus in life a different focus than what i had maybe just to get to a higher level and he's got the best materials the best content the best delivery the best message of anyone that i've come across perhaps in my whole life he's just right there with the greats like napoleon hill so get the ultimate productivity and the actual book the ultimate tip the ultimate productivity he changed the name of it because he did a series called The Art of. And so the, na- the book, The Ultimate Productivity, is now out called The Art of Productivity, in case you get confused when you're looking for it. I don't know if the old version is still out there or not. But anyway, thank you very much for that. So today, today is going to be another one of these shows where you are going to get so much out of what's going to happen today that I just can't wait to get this started. So I'm just going to start. I've got a really good friend that goes back maybe maybe close to 20 years or so we met professionally uh he's going to tell his story in a minute but we met professionally i did some consulting to him he's an inventor among other things he he worked in the civil service for uh, a whole career i think maybe 27 years or so he'll tell you some of that but i met i met marty costello maybe 20 years ago as a client and i really really liked him because he is a real person if you haven't figured it out yet from listening on my shows I really enjoy people that I call real people, people that have gone through stuff in life that have done, done things to overcome some of their hardships and wherever they started out with. And Marty's like that. He's a guy that he's there. He's, he's got your back. You know, he's that kind of a guy. He's, your, he's a friend. Marty's terrific. But we lost touch with each other. And then about seven or eight years ago, I, I got sent again with the Small Business Development Center to do some consulting. And, uh, and we hooked up again. And then a couple years after that, uh, when I got into the Lava Music Festival with my son, where we were producing music events, uh, we bumped into each other, and he likes music, and he had a band that he wanted me to, to consider letting my son listen to to see if they could be in the festival. And then we hooked up again. But here's what I really want to say about Marty. Marty started listening to my show, the one that you're listening to right now, and he's been one of the best listeners that I've got out there. He gives me feedback all the time. And we connected greatly on a show. When I had Robin Kassarjan on last year, it was episode number 18 back in June. Robin is one of the most beautiful people that I know in my life. And she talked about meditation. And Marty called me up to share how wonderful it was that I had her on the show and that she brought forth this meditation, mindfulness meditation. He's going to talk about that a little bit today, too. So I just really appreciate Marty. But what happened was, Marty, because he's such a good friend and listener, I saw that his story is so powerful that it needs to be told, and, and he agreed to be on the show. And then I think it was the night before the show, he called me up to tell me why he couldn't go through with it. And, he, and I know I'm keeping you in suspense here, but he's going to talk about that. But let me just tell you how I, how I wrote the announcement for this show. This week's show will be Marty Costello, Moving On, An Ex-Juvenile, Delinquents story. Tune in and hear Marty share his story with Steve of how he made something out of his life despite great odds against him and be inspired to overcome great adversity to be the success that you were born to be. So with that, I'm going to bring Marty on in just a second. And the first thing we're going to do though is we're going to go to some scripture that, that I've got on the topic of overcoming. So, uh, Marty, why don't I bring you on first and let you talk a little bit, and then we'll we'll see what's going on, and then we'll read some of this overcoming scripture. Then we'll then uh then you tell your story, whatever you want to share.
1: Thanks a lot, Steve. Um, first of all, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I guess it's kind of like an honor to to be able to share your story, and maybe it's a story that, you know it kind of has a, a testimony. Um, um, maybe something that some uh, some lessons learned can be had. Um, and I just felt obligated that, you know, hearing other people's stories that, you know, as a regular person, I just felt like, you know, maybe I should share, too. If one kid gets inspired, here's my story. That's a good thing. So wow. uh, from there, uh, I just wanted to add one more thing that, um, you know, success, Steve, you talked about, you know, being successful and all that. I kind of look at it like um, success is really where did you start from? It's not so much where you end up. So if we can kick it off from there, you know, um, success is, is a relative kind of thing. I guess I want to kind of get at. So go
0: ahead. Oh, hey, I want everybody to know that the purpose of Marty being on here is to share his story because he has overcome a lot of stuff. And it's a lot of stuff that a lot of you that are listening to this also have had to deal with. And all of our shows are geared toward people that are going through hardship. We talk about fighting recidivism. And we trace it down to where it all starts with with the family life. When kids are growing up, the best way to to reduce recidivism is to get to the kids before they go too far out in life and screw up. And then my wife Donna's show, uh, episode 53, about the, uh, the, the uh, functional family, the positive model. We're really getting to the heart of the matter now. And when Marty called me the other day and gave some response on he listened to both my wife's show and he listened to Miziel Diaz's show the other day on part, part three of the uh, Design Your Empowered Year. Well, I want to read you what Marty said to me about my wife's show because there's something buried in here that I want to bring out. Marty says, good morning. Thanks, Steve. I've read these attachments that I sent him and so forth. I listened to the Functional Family Show yesterday. Love Donna's voice. She has a slight accent, I think. Is she from western Pennsylvania? Donna got a big kick out of it. She's from Norfolk, Virginia. Anyway, love her previous work helping out folks in Ocean View. I had no idea how much moms have on their hands regarding proper upbringing in a loving and secure home environment. It touched me to hear Donna say how she instilled in her children how to forgive others. She said that helped them clear their conscience so they could move on. Very touching interview. So, Marty, you know, you didn't have a home life like Donna's talking about, so start where you want to. Okay, so um, I'm from Pittsburgh, uh, north side.
1: It's a pretty tough town on the north side there, you know, steel town. Uh, everybody visualizes a smoky city, but these days uh, it's mostly high-tech and it's cleaned up a lot. Uh, but anyway, uh, right there in the inner city, you um, we used to hang out on the corner. We could see our grade school and high school from our the corner on North Avenue and Federal Street where we used to hang out. And uh, if, if I was to walk to my grade school and high school, from there I could see Three River Stadium. So that's how close we were hanging out there. And, you know, we'd be hanging out in the pool hall and we'd hear cheers and we'd, we'd look up at the TV to see the rerun, that, you know, the replay. That's how close we were. And that's how, you know, we we were to downtown you know the heart of the city and everything so um it was a a very rough upbringing mom and dad worked hard uh to buy that house out in the suburbs um which was a few miles up the hill um there was a right around the time where mom and dad uh, bought the house dad was working uh two jobs he was a street sweeper he he was a, a a bartender and then a car dealer uh, so when, it, when the bar was closed, it locked the door and then my dad was dealing cards. And so, yeah, but they were saving money all the while. And then I don't know how they did it. They had the energy and they'd get us up in the morning and we'd get up and go out there and sweep up the, the clubs as kids. We would, uh, you know, get picked the popcorn, peanut shells or whatever. But anyway, um, there was a period of time there when mom and dad had some troubles and, um, uh, it looked like there was going to be a breakup. Eventually he did buy the house, but it didn't last long. And, um, So there was a a divorce uh, uh, thing that was going on, a separation and all that. So anyway, I ended up running the streets. You know, mom was working second shift. Ended up in the juvenile court system for, you know, mostly truancy, not going to school, um, property crimes, breaking windows, stealing cars, um, that kind of thing. So I ended up in uh, uh, juvenile court, uh, incarcerated, spent summers, you know, at least two summers that I can re- uh, remember, uh, I was in Arbally Home for Boys in McKeesport, uh, Pennsylvania, which is a uh, sister campus, of boy's town. Um, and I got out of there, actually ran away from there, I ended up uh, uh, having foster parents who were neighbors who lived a few, few doors down from us. And, and that didn't last long, only a year or two. And then um, I signed up for the Job Corps at 16 years old and got emancipated. actually had to go to court. So I, uh, got a GED in the trade and, and, uh, there I was, you know, uh, I was making money, but I wanted to back up to the, to the, you know, the boys' homes and whatnot. When you're running the streets, um, the boys' homes, you know, it offered a change of environment, you know, security, three hots in a cot, we call it. Um, and then sometimes it was just, you, you wanted, you, you actually wanted to get caught because you were tired. You were tired of running the streets. You wanted to sleep. You wanted to get something hot to eat. And um, so, you know, we all knew that. And and, and the juvie, I called it the juvie. It was juvenile court. It it was a bad thing because, you know, Steve talks a lot about recidivism. You know, a lot of kids go in there like me. And when I went in, I actually learned more bad stuff um, on how to how to uh, break into cars or whatnot and and commit more crimes than than I did had I, you know, gone to a softer uh, environment. But. But um, still, uh, in a weird way, that that was uh, security. So anyway, um, after the Job Corps, I got a certificate for, in a welding in, as a production welder. Ended up on assembly line at uh, 17 years old. But the problem with that was um, now I had money coming in. And here I am. It was too much money at way too young of an age. Here, I was 17, had my own apartment, had two cars, and, of course, you know, Drugs came along with that. It was marijuana, cocaine, and uh, that ended up uh, uh, eventually turning into a, a fight uh, with a biker guy, two guys actually. And uh, uh, the, the biker guy was coming at me with his karate moves. And uh, I used to be a boxer, so my dad used to take me to the Y growing up, and you know learn how to spar and hit the bag and jump open, all that stuff. So I just did set up and did a straight left, right, and I knocked this guy down, and this guy was bigger than me. And When you're a small guy, you got to put the big guy out. And so while I was on top of him, his buddy jumped in and started stabbing me. And, you know, I really couldn't – you really can't feel a stab. It's kind of like a poke, and a knife goes in. And, you know, the only thing I remember feeling was the weakness. And um, But I got to a point where um, – my my blood, my heart pumping was in sync with my vision. So it was like, a, you know, a boom, boom, up and down. A little bit of light, a lot of light, you know, like that. And I knew I was dying because I had very little strength. I was stabbed uh, five times deep and then four nicks, so a total of nine times. But luckily, all the stabs missed all my uh, organs. Uh, but I was still bleeding out, didn't know it. I thought I was dying. So as a former altar boy, you know, you're dying. What do you do? Say a Hail Mary. So, you know, I said, Hail Mary and Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art, art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And then on our father. And then I ran out of prayers. <laughs> it's like, what do you do now? And you know, I knew I was dying, so I visualized my, my folks, mom and dad and two sisters, at my funeral, I visualized myself laying in the casket and them looking down at me. And um, I felt so horrible. The feeling was, um, it was regret. It was regret because I felt like a piece of crap. I never really did anything uh, with my life you know, besides getting a job at the assembly line. Um, so there was a lot of pain there. So... I kind of did this little prayer for my gut and, and, and I said that, you know, God, if you'd help me get out of this situation, you know, I'll change my life. I'll, I'll get out of here. I'll make my life better. And um, I, I don't remember going out, but I went out and um, I got day about a day and a half had passed. I later found out. And um, so I'm laying in the hospital um, in the ER and um I was afraid to open my eyes. I, I knew I was awake. You get that feeling that there's light coming in, right? But being a former Catholic, I thought I was in purgatory. I was like, because I knew something bad, ugly happened, you know, recently. And I was, I was afraid. I, I was afraid to see where I was. And then I heard the helicopter, the hospital helicopter. And I said, oh, my God, I'm alive. I made it. And, and I was so excited that I was alive that I went to, like, jump. And they have me laying on my stomach and I, and I went, ah, I couldn't move. I grabbed it and I couldn't move. And I looked over and there was a nurse. And then, of course, there's the heart rate monitor going off. And she, she looked over at me and I'm laying on my stomach. She goes, are you okay? How do you feel? I said, okay. And she said, uh, are you hungry? Back then, the question was, you know, do you want to eat? Cause that's a sign that, okay, maybe everything's good and no organs were hit. And I said, yes, I'm starving. So I ended up, <laughs> ended up eating on my stomach and, uh, but anyway, uh, so as the days went on, um, you know, I had to had to, you know, figure out what I was going to do. I made this commitment. So then I had to do something because I, always, I felt like, you know, something bad was going to happen if I did not. Um, so
0: uh, I ended up, uh, long story short, or a cutting the story short, I ended up joining the Navy. Can I interrupt you, Marty? Yeah. You, I just got to. Th- I just got to tell you something about what you've been sharing with us your life story at that point of your life in about a 10 minute period you just shared how you you went from a family that went through divorce then you you ended up in foster care that didn't work out and then you went through a a a near-death experience and and, and promised the Lord that you would do something with your life if you were able to live and so that that's a little summary in three or four points of what you just finished talking about, I believe. But if we can, I want to go back for a second before you go too far, because as you go into the rest of your life, uh, all of you that are listening, I want to tell you something. Marty is a real success that's come through life the hard way as you can start to hear what he's talking about. And and I, I, I want to let it sink in because I think that many of you that are listening to Marty's story have the exact same story. You might not have got stabbed like him. You might've got shot or whatever, but divorce, hardship, foster care, whatever. Um, you know, I wanna talk about that for a few minutes if you, if we can. Is that okay, sure, Marty? Sure, sure. All right, good. So, but before we do that, Marty, when I knew you were coming on, I I came up with some Bible verses. I like to share scripture to, to inspire people about overcoming, you know, I, I pray and I meditate and, and for you, I said, you know, what is it that I want to share? What's the message that we're going to deliver? It's about overcoming adversity and hardship. And, 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 and what are some of the pointers? I know that in a few minutes, we're going to start getting into the solution. That's something that Marty said to me last night when we were talking is that, hey, look, I want to tell my story, but I want to get to the solution. He wants to offer things that, that y'all should listen to about how he went from this type of a background to some really positive things that happened in his life. But so let me just read a couple verses here. Uh, this is from John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans 12 21 Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Luke 137 for no word from God will ever fail. First Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, He gives <clears throat> us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Oh, It just goes on. I got some more. Let me just share a few more because I, I want to just sink in because I'll tell you why. What Marty's going to start talking to us about is this world that we're talking about the dark forces in the world. And, and we're going to get into something very, very deep in a minute, I promise you. But Marty has overcome and he's going to share with you how he's overcome. Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Psalm 3, 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. If you haven't started to figure out the direction I'm going here, it's it's when you are close to the Lord and and have trust and faith in the Lord that your life's going to move in the right direction. Marty, why don't you speak? I'll read some more in a few minutes, but why don't you why don't you share some thoughts now before you go into the rest of your 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 experience with the Navy? That's where we'll pick up in a few minutes.
1: Okay, um, so you know, being going through this traumatic uh, life near death experience, um, unknown to me, and uh, I. I uh, obviously had anxiety, so I would go to bed, and I'd wake up, uh, the pillow would be soaking wet, and I knew I had a rough night of sleep. Um, a lot of times I'd be chasing the guy that stabbed me, or he would be chasing me, and you just have these nightmares because you, you know, you experience that thing, so these these memory loops keep uh, cycling and, and um, keep you awake all night, and um, so I didn't know what I had, and uh, so back in 2001, I lost my dad uh, to MS, and my wife and I, at the time, were going through a divorce. So I was really uh, in in a little bit of a depression back then, and I went to a uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, to get sleeping pills, and uh, I gave him my history and told him my mom was bipolar. So automatically, I'm bipolar, right? (laughs) So that's what he thought, and that's what he um, uh, prescribed me with, and... So anyway, long story, cut this one short. I, I went from Abilified to Zoloft, you name it, uh, and trying to, uh, you know, get, get a good night's sleep. And um, eventually I, I was at the VA. I used to go to the VA hospital for my hernia. Um, and so I told them about my sleeping issues, and they set me up with a psychiatrist. This about This is about four or five years ago. And uh, she said, do you have an hour? I said, yeah. She says, okay, this is going to take some time. So and she, she went back and my life story, and I told her everything like I'm kind of saying now, a lot of it. And uh, she says, okay, after, at the end there, she goes, um, you have what we call non-combat PTSD. And um, I was like, wow, that that's, doesn't sound good. Um, so then, you know, of course, I, I went through a little regimen of pills, uh, medications to sleep uh, with my psychiatrist. At that time, um, and then I guess after about two years of that, uh, she goes, you know, how are you doing with the, the, the benzos? She would call them the benz- benzophidine, whatever the name is. Um, they're really nasty drugs. And she said, you know, we want to start weaning you off of them because uh, you're, you're, uh, it has a high mortality rate for people in their 50s. And I'm like, what? And so I was like, well, how do I do this? So anyway. Um, I started learning how how to meditate. I did a lot of reading on mindfulness, and and at first I didn't believe it. I thought it was all hokey, and and, um, I started practicing, and just like anything else, uh, weightlifting, you get better with practice. And um, So I was able to wean myself off the pills, and and believe me, it it took a good year or so before I was I mean, I even had a, a razor knife, shaving the pill into quarter pieces uh, just to get off of them. I, I would close my eyes at night and it was like a movie like a movie There was a movie going on. I didn't have to it was almost entertainment, but it was a lot of scary stuff, too um, But eventually I was able to calm my mind calm my nerves and, and get some rest and get some good sleep So yeah, I went through a course for like 15 years on those meds and, and
0: used meditation to uh, get off of those Marty. What was it like? living in your house going into foster care that, because, you know, you said when you talked about Donna's show that you didn't really understand these things with right. a mother that took that kind of a nurturing the children because you didn't have that nurturing situation. What was right. it like being right. moved into foster right. care that I, I'd like to hear There's more many, that
1: many lonely nights? I tell you, um, there was a feeling of abandonment, you know, when, you know, mom and dad broke up and you have a chance to go home. I don't know if mom's punishing dad or what's going on, but. I was forced to stay. So there's a feeling of abandonment, emptiness, and that lingers for years. That's all gone now, now that I'm older. But but you're right. And thanks for bringing that up, Steve, because that that was something that just lingered. Oh, God, for years. So, yeah, you're you know, I noticed that, you know, in your son's upbringing and what Donna said, I was like, wow. I wish my mom was around to tell me that kind of stuff, but yeah, she was busy. She was a single parent, you know, working 12 hour shifts. And that's how I got in trouble by running the streets. So, um, yeah, uh, abandonment, loneliness, okay. and so, all that.
0: But, but when you talk about running the streets, I want to, I want to do that for a minute. A lot of people listening, they don't have a clue what it is when you say running the streets and so forth. You know, they come from nice, well adjusted, stable families. A lot of people listen to the show. Okay, I got gotcha. uh, But let me say this: the a lot of people listen to the show. We got two types of people listen to the show. We got people that are looking to change their life, but they're not sure how. And that we will let them. We want to let them know that they're loved. We're there for them. You know, agape love, friendship, the Right Thinking Foundation National Online Support Network, where we can be love, encouraged, good friendship. You know, that's gonna help a lot of people and they they, they gotta know that they're worthy, because that's gotta be something that you came out of that with the loneliness and the abandonment. But but the other piece is we got a lot of people that would like to do more for other people that have come from a good stable background, that might be some of the volunteers that we recruit to embrace and love and, and take some training so they can be a true friend to other people and give them positive things to think about. So what I'm what I'm getting at though in, in that part though is you said that you were doing things, running the streets, you know, like breaking it in and stealing cars and stuff. Uh, you, you're you an ex-juvenile. You, know, you gave that stuff the title of the show today. You gave yourself the title of that for the show. You're an ex-juvenile that that made good. I know you've made good. We're going to talk about that in a little while as we get into what you did with your life. But when you were out there running the streets... Can you give a little bit of what was going on in your in your mind that got you to do those kind yeah. of things? Yeah, so I'm I'm you know two or three generations of
1: you know hanging out on the corner. Uh, I hung out on the same corner that my dad did, and a lot of my my peers that grew up, their dads hung out on the same corner too. Uh, and if it wasn't that corner, it was another corner, probably within a three mile or five mile radius. Um, so. You know, people think it's, you know, it was a gang. It was no formal gang, but it was just that was our corner. The cops knew it. Um, the, we went to school with their kids and, or their uncles, and they knew that if we were on the corner, it was better for us to hang out, be the, the unit. And, and by the way, that was our family unit, was your fellow uh, gang members or, or the people hanging out on the corner with you. You did everything together. You protected your corner, your folks lived back in the alleyways. They they would come out and buy a loaf of bread or go to the bakery or or the drugstore or what have you. Um, and we were there to make sure they were protected and you know whatnot. So yeah, the, for the I see where you're getting at. The, the kind of like the group or the gang becomes the family unit. And there's a lot of peer pressure to be in that. Otherwise, you're back in your house. You're the nerd. You're the guy that doesn't come out and get to hang out with everybody else. Unless, of course, you go through the initiation, improve your worthiness and
0: all that. Okay. So you went to the Auburley Home for Boys. Yeah. And that's like a detention home? That was, you know, that was the coolest place, actually. It was uh, That was not
1: lockup. Um, juvenile Court was the lockup place. But this place was kind of like a, Auburley um, was a sister campus, of boy's town. And it was a uh, kind of like, um, I don't know, like a dorm. You know, you had a roommate and there were supervisors. There was a, someone at the desk all the time on each floor. There was a curfew. Um, you got to work part-time jobs. You got to go to a regular school. Um, but still, again, it was you were a teenager on your own. You still didn't have blood parents or parents um, with you know, that, that kind of up, upbringing.
0: Okay, thanks for sharing that with us. So in your, in your stabbing experience, that you still to this day uh, have PTSD, non non uh, combat type PTSD, because of what happened that 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 day in your life, you you've come to mindful meditation is is one one way that you uh, combat that yourself. I mean, overcome it.
1: Right. I have sleeping pills, but um, I, I rarely have to take them now. Uh, Doing exercise, eating well, and whatnot, and all that.
0: Okay, so. I wanted to just go back to that section of your life a little bit because I think you've made dramatic progress. Like I said in the beginning of the show, you were going to talk on the show so that you could share how you've come from this background to doing something with your life. But you called me up and you said, you're just not ready. So I I think it's absolutely a a wonderful thing that you are now ready to share your story to help other people. So please, everybody, whatever you're going through, others like Marty, they've overcome so much to get to where they are today. So so now, Marty, yes. let's start talking some of the positive things that you did with your life. Now you're ready to talk about your Navy experience, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was afraid. I, I want to say fear. Let me just go back to that for a second. It was anxiety, which is a part of PTSD. It's that future part, that worry part. But, you know, you got to get to a point where, hey, you know, you, you, you know, give up. You don't have to care what people think if someone's going to be helped you know, or or inspired by my story, then I'm just going to go ahead and say, and that's what gave me the determination to come down here to talk to you about it. That's beautiful. So yeah, my Navy experience, of course, I had to pick a career that had to be a little gutsy, you know, I had to be a, I had to sign up to be a deep sea diver. And so I went through that. It was very challenging, probably one of the hardest things that I did. um, uh, Very honorable thing too. a lot of people don't make it. So I think you, uh, when you had an interview with a guy recently who was a former SEAL candidate. I recalled that. Um, but anyway, he knows how tough it is. <laughs> SEAL training, believe me, and diver training is a lot different, but we get a little taste of what the SEALs go through. Um, so, yeah, uh, I ended up in the Navy. Uh, I did the, uh, you know, four years. Um, then I ended up with civil service. I ended up as a shipyard diver at Norfolk Naval Shipyard. Uh, volunteered for underwater welding program that started up. And then I became the first certified underwater welder, which, which was a dream of mine, you know, from back in my assembly line days. Um, because that, that was the pinnacle of, of being a welder. If you could do
0: it underwater, then, you know, that's, you can do it anyway. Can I just ask you one really quick yeah. question? This is a, this is not about too much, but I've never been able to understand how you can weld underwater where a flame will yeah, will will we'll do what it's supposed to do while it's underwater.
1: This is a, an electrode. It's a steel rod, and there's a uh, coating on it. It's got chemicals in it, and there's a wax coating on top of that. The temperature gets so hot that it it, it ten thousand degrees. It splits the atoms into gas pockets, and just for those minute milliseconds, while you're dragging the bead, gives you just enough protective gases, uh, keeps the water away. The shielding gases provide the ability for the for the bead to establish itself.
0: You've answered my question. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Don't mean to interrupt you. Okay.
1: Um, so, yeah. So I did the, the diving thing uh, in the reserves and civil service for about 10 years. And then I got into environmental protection business, um, you know, the, kind of like oil spills, hazmat, uh, on call. That was a lot of stress, too, by the way. Um, and I did that for 24 years. And so I finished a year ago, uh, 56 years old, with a total of 34 years, four Navy,
0: and then 30 civil service. Let me do the math there. At 56 years old, you had 34 years in the, in the military-government combined, yeah. civil service? Yes. Well, let me just stop there for a second. Marty, Marty gave me a quote the other day. i see if I'll get it right. I said, Marty, that, that's phenomenal that you're 57 years old. You've been retired for a year with full benefits of civil service, career, job. We're making some pretty good money before you retired. I know that. But you said to me, well, hey, I fell into something and stayed with it. Yeah. That ought to be on everybody's wall, is to stay with something that's working for you that's good.
1: Right, especially those jobs with, uh, you know, with benefits, especially health care these days. Um, you find something, stay with it. Don't take the second job until you have the second job. Know that you have it. But, yeah, um, picking the story back up, where did we leave off?
0: No, Navy experience, career, life change?
1: Yeah, so, you know, what I'm doing now is everybody, what are you doing now? Are you bored? No, I'm loving it. I'm I'm (laughs) detoxing. I'm exercising. We talked
0: about that earlier. Let's talk about what detox means because we're not talking about drugs. We're talking about something else.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I'm talking about, yeah, no, I'm talking about, like, sauna detox and, you know, the chemicals that we've all been breathing in all these years, especially someone like me who's been in, 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 in been in industry for decades. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. So a lot of exercise and sauna, healthy detox, not drug detox. But yeah. Um, what were we going to do from here, Steve?
0: Well, what we want to do is get to the solutions in a minute. Okay. So let's let's finish up. Let's finish up the part of your life that is talking about what you've done. Now, when I, when I met Marty maybe 15, 20 years ago through the Small Business Development Center, it was for some kind of a project. Marty, Marty, as you can tell, he gets very, very involved in things that he works on. He's very focused. And one of the things that's always impressed me about Marty is, is that he's like an inventor. And I guess the last time that I actually worked with you eight or nine years back was when your dad was going through some stuff. That, that's very fascinating what you figured out about trying to help your dad. You want to share some of that? That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, so I took the basic patient lift, the Hoyer lift, and I, I developed a yoke system that went over the patient's shoulders and um, hooked into the harness. My dad uh, succumbed to MS, and he had a lot of trouble walking and was uh, wasting away in a nursing home, and he wasn't receiving daily walking rehab.
0: Well, he was very, very overweight, right? He was a little bit overweight.
1: Yeah. Um, But uh, so I uh, I kidnapped him and brought him home. And I I made a prototype of course, being a welder, you learn how to make stuff real quick. And uh, uh, I suspended him over my treadmill at home and with a boat winch and a couple pulleys and an old diving harness. And I got him back on his feet in a month. And he started using a standard. I went to the drugstore and bought a standard walker. And um, he lived with me for about two years, and then I had to pick him up, put him in a tub. And I got another hernia, and so I just, I couldn't take care of him anymore. I had to put him back in a nursing home. And we took the idea. It was engineered at ODU. Um, we tested it over at the VA. We got one vet um, on his feet again. He had TBI, but he had, we didn't cure his TBI. We had cured his, helped him with his ataxia and that was the big guy i think you're thinking about he was a huge marine we got he walked out of the va hospital i'm, I'm proud to say oh that. yeah yeah and so we evms uh, norfolk general uh, did a little study on it i got i was published so an abstract was published it showed results uh but you know i played around with it for so long in development that other products started springing up. And then Steve said, hey, if you want to have a retirement in about 10 or 15 years, you need to slow down because you're, uh, I borrowed, at that point, I borrowed on my house twice, you know, with this dream idea. Of course, it was to help people. It was a good thing to do. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so I had to give up the baby, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, was, I guess I was satisfied enough with that.
0: Well, let me describe that. Marty had a brilliant from-the-heart invention that helped his father, that had helped this other gentleman he talked about that I thought was his father with the weight issue. But Marty really wanted to work on that. And what we did when we did our research, we had to get patents on this thing so that we could sell it. And he was going to market this thing to, you know, worldwide companies and stuff. But a lot of people get involved in a project like that, and they find out that it's just going to be— an individual can't afford to do what it's got to do to go through the process, so what they try to do is license it to another company that's already got all the, all the, all the money behind them. And Marty was an independent, and Marty did very well with the civil service, and like he said, he mortgaged his house a couple of times because he believed in it. So sometimes, though, he says give up the baby. A lot of times, this is a Jim Stovall kind of thought. If you're doing something, and you can't really get it to where it should go, at some point in time, you've got to modify your game plan and and move in a different direction before it goes too far to cripple you, so to speak. And uh, I don't like <clears throat> being the bearer of bad news to anybody when they got a business idea, but we spent a couple months uh, analyzing this and studying it, and like he said, while he was working on it, there were some other people that were worldwide-type people out of Japan and other countries that, uh, that had their own patents and were way ahead of Marty on this. And so we tried to get some investors. We couldn't do that. And so Marty moved in a different direction. But hey, I didn't just discourage him and, uh, lost the friendship. It, it brought us closer because we're two honest guys with each other. It's great. So, Marty, you know, you've got a very interesting life. You've been through a lot of stuff. So let, let me, um, let, let me share this. Marty told me that he was got a piece of scripture that he'd like me to share. And so let's get into this level now. This is from Ephesians 6:11 through 18. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Marty, you asked me to share that today, so would you explain why? Yeah, it's, um,
1: you know, there's a lot of, it, there's a lot of figurative and symbolic speech in there, you know, about the sword and the breastplate plate of righteousness and all that. And um, I, I just like the way it speaks. It speaks to today, where we're looking back. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, characters in movies like I think the Pink Panther's out now. There's a lot of that warrior mentality. The the what Game of Thrones and so to a lot of the younger people out there, you could probably um, you know maybe look at that and, and understand that this is not really the battle. It's not a physical one. That this is a mental one, and you know it's more of about how to walk and not not that you're putting on all this armor those are just figures of speech so it going back in ephesians i just wanted to read what the walk is and the walk is this that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness wherefore Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. So about going back to this meditation, mindfulness uh, thing, how do we catch these ruminating bad thoughts that we get? This self-talk, feelings and emotions, um, you know, that come from a dark place. How do we control that? And what we need to understand is that, you know, this is the body's physiology at work. Uh, this is the old primitive part of the brain, we've got different parts of our brain, and that part is, is about uh, uh, keeping you alive. It, it's it's kind of like a little bit of software programming to, to say, hey, you know, um, you gotta worry about that, you gotta think about this, you gotta think about food, and you know, today it's like, you gotta think about what your friends are thinking, you know, and whatnot, but, so, how to catch these ruminating thoughts, and how to renew the, renew the mind. So I just want to talk about the prayer and meditation um, are used together. Um, you can have meditative prayer where you reflect on Jesus' teachings in Scripture. Or you can choose loving kindness uh, meditation where you can visualize a bad thing and project love and kindness on that thing and whatever it is, a person or a situation. And over time, you can train your mind to quiet your mind, to calm your mind uh, so those thoughts don't come back again. Your brain has neural spasticity. it can regrow nerves um, from the back to the front, and to create these pathways that'll make you a calmer thinker and a calmer person. So one way to do this is to do this thing called uh, box breathe. Just to get started, it's it's a it's a, you inhale for four seconds. Just count the. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, then hold it, count to four, 1,001, 2, 3, 4, then let it out. From the gut all the way up. And then when you breathe in, let the belly extend. Count to four in your mind, hold it for four, and then let it out. So what you're doing is you're oxygenating the brain, right? You're taking your mind off of those ruminating bad thoughts, and and what happens then is the brain has a a gland inside of the center of the brain, the pineal gland. It's kind of like the brain's medicine cabinet. It throws out a little bit of dopamine, a little bit of this and that, and, and eventually you learn that this is a calming effect, and so... Um, I was able to wean myself off of some serious psych meds with meditation. And again, when I, when I heard your show on mindfulness, I was like, man, you know, if, if a lot of people can learn this and, and, and you know, start practicing this. I just read an article yesterday. Uh, people are actually uh, practicing mindful eating. You know, what did our moms and dads tell us back in the day? Chew slower, chew a hundred times, right? and make it last 20 minutes. So there's many mindful things that you can do. But again, we're focusing on mindfulness meditation here in in, uh, prayer. So, about let's say, you know, let's say you have a ruminating thought about, you know, that bad guy, the bully on the corner. You got to walk by every day coming home from school. You get these bad feelings in your gut. That's not a good feeling. So what you can do in a situation like that is visualize that tough guy, that guy that hurts you or that, per, that whatever it is that, that makes you worry or feel d- depressed or sad and project love on it um, visually visualize that after you get calm and I use the word love as my mantra I, I visualize that enemy that bad guy and I just I say love in my mind more like this love <sighs> over and again love <sighs> and I, I see that person's face and I, I keep on it and i some people that still pop up in my mind every now and then, I still gotta do it. Um, and lately I caught myself doing it, uh, this morning. I've come out of the shower. I said, you know, the guy that built my shower 10 years ago, I could kick his butt. And I said, you know, I caught myself because eventually once you train your mind how to do this, you can catch yourself. I caught myself and I said, you know what? I never forgave that guy. I never forgave, but my bathroom floor's falling in and I, you know, and every time I step out of the shower, I want to beat the guy up. But anyway, Finally, this morning, I forgave that guy. So, um, yeah, Steve, I just wanted to uh, say that, you know, people can learn this mindfulness meditation thing. Obviously, you can Google it and find more about it. If you don't have the Internet, you can draw a number line. Put a zero in the middle. Put negative numbers, negative one through ten, positive numbers on the right. You're the zero. Negative numbers represent yesterday. You can't change yesterday. Yesterday is gone, so quit worrying about it. It's It's gone. That's where depression comes from. Now, worry and anxiety, that's tomorrow. Guess what? Tomorrow is not here. What are you worried about? You're in this moment, and it's moment by moment. If you can remember that, uh, eventually you're, you're going to build up a stronger mind, and it's going to help you in, in coping.
0: Marty, I have listened to you for the show today, and i got to tell you, everything that I had prayed for that would happen while you came on the show, I believe it happened. You have shared your life story. You have given some very, very positive words of wisdom that will help people. Because, you know, when I was listening to you at the very end there, which I think is just so beautiful and powerful, I loved your your demonstration of the breathing, though, and the and the the, the love is beautiful because, yeah. you know, Right Thinking Foundation is all about love, agape love. We believe that if we can love on people so that they can feel good about, you know, just it's grace, you know, just just some people don't think they're worthy, but they are. We're all unique children of God. But what I want to say to you, Marty, that I that I really want to want to get this out here is that you have taken a life that was not a. a, a The deck that you were dealt with wasn't one that you would have chosen. And there's so many of us out there that the circumstances that we're stuck with, we didn't ask for. And and you through your through your walking down the street and seeing somebody that you just don't really appreciate. Some of these people they're they're there. But the bottom line is this. You have said forgiveness is the heart of this, having the discipline. I think that if we view a lot of people that are going through through the bullying and trying to hurt other people, if we look at them like that poor soul is just in pain right now and what happened to him, maybe his life was worse than mine was when I was coming along and just have some kind of empathy and compassion and try to be there for them. And that's basically what we're doing on this show right now is to try to offer a message to people that are struggling, that still have anger, still have a chip on their shoulder, let me say this to everybody. We are not professional psychologists. We are two guys, Marty and I, that have come through life and, and had, had some things that we've been, been faced with, and, and we have a choice. I like to be real simple. You know, uh, from Annie, the, the show, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow, tomorrow. The sun's going to come up tomorrow, Marty, and you got a choice to make which side you want to be on when it comes up. Do you want to be on the, the, the side that's angry and ticked off at everybody? Or do you want to be on the side that's just embracing life and trying to do the best you can to make the world a better place? And, Marty, I'm in on that side. How about you? Me too, Steve. And thanks for uh, bringing me on
1: here today. Uh, I don't know if we have much more time. Yeah, is there,
0: or, is there anything else you'd like to say in closing? we got about, you know, a minute. Okay, I just want to say that, um, you know,
1: everything's not all dark. Um, the pendulum has swung Um pretty far and pretty much as far as it's going to go. But the hope and the light that I see today are these high school kids coming out in mass and it's pure and it's from the heart. And these kids are speaking and they're going to be voters here in the near future. And they're going to be in big numbers. And I'm just glad to see that, you know, they're coming together and, and, and helping fix some of our
0: social ills. That's what we're here to do is to fix the social ills. That's exactly Right. I'm going to leave it with this last thought. This is from John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Marty, thanks for being on the show today. God bless you. I love you. God bless everybody, and we'll tune in next week and have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I look forward to being with you again next week. And remember, don't quit. Plan ahead. It will get better.